Welcome to Sparks of History, where world history and Jewish history meets. We're pleased to have with us today Professor Edward Berenson. Professor Berenson is Professor of History and Chair of the History Department at New York University, NYU. He's the author of numerous books on 19th and 20th century French, British, and U.S. history. And today we'll be looking at Professor Berenson's richly researched, very readable book, The Accusation of Libel in an American Town. And here we have it right here, the book, which um, I have read and enjoyed very much. It really was an eye-opener um, for me. And um, we'll start right away. Um, Professor Berenson, a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the subject of blood libels? Well, I guess the immediate answer is that <clears throat> I'm from the place where this happened. Messina, New York, a small town in upstate New York on the border with Canada. And although this happened a couple of decades before I was born, the story has been in my family. And I grew up hearing about it and and it was a, it's a strange story be, because the, the, the blood libel, this terrible, terrible accusation against Jews, is common in European history, but essentially unknown in U.S. history. And there is this exceptional case, and it happened to take place in the town I was born in, and my father was born there too. And in fact, my father was alive. He was a young child when this happened. So I decided this was something to investigate. How and why did this happen? Why was it essentially a unique event in American history? And what does it mean that it happened in this place in Northern New York State? So those are all the kinds of questions that I wanted to try to answer in this book. Okay, uh, just to give uh, our, our listeners uh, just a little bit of a background um, on the history, very brief history of, of blood libels. Um, I, I know I'm a little bit obviously familiar with it. Actually, um, a great uncle of mine wrote an essay on it. Um, he was alive during the blood libel in Hungary. I think the missing girl Esther was her name. Yep, yep, eighteen eighty-two. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a response to that, and we have that in a book that was manuscript that was found by the family and published a number of years ago. But um, general history of blood libels, and obviously we'll connect it to 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 your 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 book. Right. So unfortunately, it's a long history. It goes all the way back to the early Middle Ages. And the, the, the case that most historians who study these things think initiated <clears throat> this accusation against Jews took place in England in the middle of the 12th century. And in, in this case, a young boy turned up dead. And without any, any evidence or any reason to think that, that any Jewish people were responsible for this, the, the, the notion took hold that the Jews had kidnapped this young boy, crucified him ritually, 
And it was a monk named Thomas of Monmouth who created this story. And it's a total fiction, of course, but because of the stature of this person, a, a monk, it became something that was widely believed. And this, the, story, the story caught on and it bounced over to the European continent. And from <clears throat> the middle of the 1100s on, this became a regular occurrence. And uh, again, the, the, the notion, the crazy notion is that Jews need to use the blood of Christian children for their religious rituals. And eventually the idea started to circulate that the, the Jews in particular needed to, to use this blood on Passover because it was an essential ingredient supposedly in the making of matzah. And so the, the earliest blood libels didn't involve the notion that the Jews consume blood, but that they're basically, the original idea was that the Jews were sort of get, getting back at at, at, at Christians and for the, the, the idea that, that the Jews were somehow responsible for the, the death of Christ and that the, the, the Jews then somehow wanted to turn the tables on Christians and they did that by crucifying young, young boys. And in the, in the, in the wake of the, the, what was then the new Catholic dogma of transubstantiation that's the, the notion that that during the the mass <clears throat> bread and wine are transformed into the body and blood of Christ and and so catholic belief then got focused on blood and it seems as though that there were christians who projected this idea that blood was important in religious rituals they they projected this idea grotesquely onto Jews to argue that, that the Jews needed to drain blood from Christian children and, and use it in their rituals. So then there's a ton of iconography on the walls of churches, on stained glass windows, and in paintings that supposedly depict these, the, these Jewish ritual murders that involve the draining of blood. And they're, they're really graphic. And they're grotesque. And, and until the 1960s, when the Catholic Church finally decided to announce that this was a, a scurrilous myth, <clears throat> until the 1960s, you could see this, this iconography pretty commonly in Europe. And so throughout the Middle Ages, over and over again, you saw these rituals surface. And the popes actually said that these were untrue, that these were myths. And, and despite the, the, the popes taking their distance from this idea that the, the myth was perpetuated anyway. And it then, after subsiding for a while during the time of the Protestant Reformation, there was a huge resurgence of the myth of uh, ritual murder in the 19th century. And so that's where you get this case that took place in a small town in Hungary called Tizelar, in the in, in 1882 but that wasn't the only one there between the 1882 and the first world war there are more than 80 documented ritual murder accusations against jews in 
mostly in, in, in Eastern Europe, in, in Hungary, in Poland, in, in, in Germany. There, there are some in Italy, and they, the, there's just this explosion of ritual murder accusations at the end of the 19th century. So what exactly happens in Messina, New York in 1928? In Messina, New York, so, we are now it, 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 on the end of December, at the end of September, 1928. A little girl is out playing with her friends and she doesn't come home for dinner. And so understand she's a four-year-old girl and her, her parents are worried about her. And so they start looking around for her and and the the home of this family, the Griffiths family, is right on the edge of town, and there's a wooded area not too far from from their property. And so they start searching through the woods, and they go into the village, and they and they look around, and they can't find her. And night falls, and at some point after nightfall, the rumor starts to circulate that the Jews of Messina, New York, kidnapped this little girl named Barbara Griffiths and killed her and used her for their ritual purposes. And the, the Christian community of this town was aware that this was the eve of a holiday. And so this was right on the eve of Yom Kippur. And so in Europe, usually these accusations surfaced around the time of Passover and Easter. And in the United States, since you didn't have that, that, that tradition, to the extent that there was some knowledge about, about the two supposed practices, there was a sort of vague idea that it happened during a Jewish holiday. And so because it was about the time of, of, of Yom Kippur, this little girl go, goes missing and the accusations start to fly. And so Barbara goes missing at the end of the afternoon on Saturday. On Sunday morning, the mayor and the police officials of this town, it's a town of about, about 12,000 people, about 100 Jews, the mayor calls the rabbi into the, the city hall where the police station also exists and sits the rabbi down, whose name was Rabbi Beryl Renglass, and starts interrogating him. And they basically say to the rabbi, or ask the rabbi, what have your people done with Barbara? And are your people the kind of people who commit acts of ritual sacrifice on young children? And so needless to say, uh, the rabbi is incredibly alarmed. The, the, the rabbi is from Eastern Europe. He was born and he was ordained as a rabbi in Lithuania. Most of the, the, the Jews of, of Messina were themselves immigrants from Central and Eastern Europe. And so they were all too familiar with this accusation, which, as I said a couple of minutes ago, surfaced all over the place in Central and Eastern Europe at the end of the 19th and early 20th centuries. And so when Rabbi Brenglass goes to the, the synagogue and he tells the congregation, which is starting to, to, to gather there for the, for Yom Kippur Eve, he tells them about this accusation. You can imagine 
that the, the Jewish community members are scared and horrified. So I interviewed a number of very elderly people, and uh, I was just fortunate enough to be able to, to interview a woman named Alice Rosen, who was 102 at the time I interviewed her. She was 16 when this happened. And she told me, and she had vivid memories of this, she told me that the Jews of Messina believed that there was going to be a pogrom because that's what happened in places where they were from in, in Central and Eastern Europe. And so the, the president of the, of the congregation decided that this was too big and too scary for the small number of, of Jews to deal with it themselves. And so he got on the telephone and he called up Louis Marshall, who was one of the, the great Jewish leaders at the time. He was the president of the American Jewish Committee and explained to, to Marshall what had happened. And Marshall promised that he would intervene and take action. But he didn't do it immediately. And so the president of the congregation also got in touch with the leader of the other main Jewish organization in New York City. And he was the, the, the president um, of, the, of the American Jewish Congress and um, Steve, Rabbi Stephen Wise. And Rabbi Wise intervened immediately placed stories about this accusation in the New York Times and other major newspapers, and it just exploded into a national media event. And I'm not sure whether I should should say, talk about the, the outcome of the case. And, uh, no, it's okay. No, that's, no, no, no let, 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 let's keep that a, a question mark for now. Let's, let's uh, um, let the listeners, you know, keep listening. 